Hi, and welcome to another of our Room and Room podcasts. It's great to have you here with us. My name's Charlotte Westwood. I'm a veterinarian and nutritionist based here in Lincoln, Canterbury in New Zealand with our PGG Rights and Seeds team. Hey, so look, the Room and Room podcasts are all about things to do with the nutrition and sometimes animal health discussions of ruminant species with an unashamedly uh, New Zealand-based focus on uh, particularly New Zealand commonly grazed and consumed feeds, but hopefully, no matter where you're listening in from around the world, that you enjoy uh, aspects of this podcast. So look, this is the first of a two-part series of podcasts, and in these next two podcasts, we're going to be focusing on a uh, single type of forage crop that forms a really important part of the diet of many New Zealand and Australian dairy cows. Yes, it's the humble, well-known bulb turnip. Now look, bulb turnips, for those of you that don't know much about brassicas, are actually one of a number of different species of brassicas grown as a feed for many of our ruminant species in more temperate regions of the world. And specifically in the New Zealand and cooler regions of Australia, we are often seeing summer bulb turnips forming part of the diet, providing a high energy and moderate protein feed for lactating or in-milk dairy cows. Now, in terms of types of uh, bulb turnips, there are a array out there, but typically when we're talking about dairy cows, these cows certainly like the earlier maturing, what we call tankard type bulb turnips, so they they sit up out of the ground, and cows like to eat those well, for a range of reasons, notably that the turnips are quite quick to mature, so if you're after a fast feed, they work well in your system from that point of view. As well, the tankard turnips tend to be quite nice and soft, so the cows find them easy to eat and consume them quite readily. And as well, because they're partly anchored and and mostly out of the ground, the girls love to pull them out of the ground to munch on and roll around to consume. Briefly, other bulb turnips might include the more of what we call the globe-type turnips. Now, those are typically later maturing. The, the bulbs are a little bit harder, um, so they can carry for a bit further than the tanker-type turnips that get a bit soft and can, can um, undergo some soft rot. And the globe turnips tend to be a little bit more firmly anchored in the ground. But nonetheless, our cows will certainly like to eat the globe-type turnips. And quite often, some of you may be planting tankard-type turnips for the first part of the summer and then planting a later maturing globe-type turnip so cows stay on turnips for longer. But interestingly, certainly in the New Zealand marketplace, we're seeing fewer plantings of the globe-type turnips than traditionally. And maybe we're seeing cows that start on tankard type turnips, then they move to a forage rape, or indeed might spend some time on a globe type turnip and then end up grazing kale in late summer, early autumn. So the whole system of brassica feeding for summer brassicas for dairy cows may be a topic another day, but we'll come back specifically for this podcast around dedicating this one to bulb turnips for dairy cows and specifically we'll focus on the nutrition and some of the feed analyses and minerals and whatnot that you can expect when you feed a tankard type turnip or a globe uh, type turnip to your lactating dairy cows. 
Now, the reason we've chosen this type of crop to start with in the beginning of 2023, when a lot of you will be already feeding turnips to cows, is that really we want to look at a feed that's currently being fed um, and consumed by cows, so we're keeping it seasonally relevant. Hopefully this information in this part one of the two-part podcasts about summer bulb turnips will really help those of you who have worked hard over recent years to better understand the true sort of pure nutrition of your cows over the summer months as far as protein, NDF, water-soluble carbohydrates and macro and trace minerals. So if you're really into nutrition of your dairy cows, this one is for you. First post uh, of the two-part series, we're going to first kick this podcast off with a number of discussion points specifically about your summer turnips, just hopefully to help you and your cows make the best of the summer crop that you may have in this year, or if you're planning to try a summer crop for 23-24 summer. First up, we're going to discuss why turnips work well, not only as a high-quality feed for your cows, but also some of the broader benefits of bulb turnips for your farm business. Then we'll move on to the expected nutritional profile of your summer bulb turnips, including um, some information around the energy, protein, fibre, water-soluble carbohydrates, macro-mineral and trace mineral content of your crop. Now, of course, this discussion will not replace the need for you to do your own feed testing, but hopefully this will be a good starting point for those of you who are keen to balance uh, the diet of your cows well as they head through the summer months. In Part two, the second part of this two-part series, will step through some other aspects around the feeding of summer bulb turnips, specifically the importance of very careful transitioning of your cows onto summer bulb turnips. And we'll talk about the importance and value of doing some dry matter yielding work with your turnip crops. And then we'll move on to some of the expected milk and body condition score responses by cows to your turnip crop. And then finally, the second part of this two-part series will cover off some discussion around the various components of your milk that you might expect to see when your cows graze summer turnips. So yeah, keep an eye out for part two of this turnip series. Just subscribe to the podcast so that you know when that lands uh, or otherwise keep an eye out for it. We'll let you know in the Facebook group, The Room and Room, when another podcast is good to go. But anyway, let's get this, the latest podcast underway. First up, why might we choose to grow a crop of summer bulb turnips for the cows? Well, often we think of bulb turnips in a simplistic term, and that might be, yep, that's a single graze, so in other words, no regrowth, high quality, homegrown feed for our cows. So that's going to tick a number of boxes from a nutritional point of view. And certainly this is very true, and as we've already explained, this podcast will cover a lot more about the nutritive or feed value of uh, bulb turnips shortly. But hey, have you thought about other reasons why turnips will work well for your overall farm business? So other reasons why turnips work well for your overall farm business and the actual farm itself is, of course, the cost-effectiveness of turnips like many other summer forage crops compared with purchased and dry feeds, um, the likes of palm kernel, PKE, and also 
that summer turnips provide feed when otherwise pasture production may not be delivering sufficient homegrown feed during uh, mid to late summer. Not so much the case for many parts of New Zealand and southeastern Australia with a very wet summer this year, but in drier summers you've got that reliance of that bank of feed after Christmas that you can rely on for the cows to eat when your pasture growth rates and also pasture quality uh, quite often has has, um, slumped away after Christmas. As well as that, even with the recent crazy increases in costs to not only plant but to support the, the growth and ongoing quality of forage crops, we'd suggest that it's really well worth doing are the figures, the sums, to work out what these crops are actually costing you on a cents per kilogram dry matter basis. Now, if, if um, you're not you know, so enthused about doing those sorts of numbers, I'm sure your rural retailer or your farm consultant or a nutritionist will be able to do those figures for you based on your crop costs and then work that out on a cents per kilogram dry matter basis, depending on the range of expected dry matter yields, tonnes of dry matter per hectare for that crop well worth doing those sums, and you can even convert that back not only to cents per kilogram dry matter, but also cents per megajoule of ME grown and consumed. Now, another aspect around homegrown forages, um, such as but not limited to summer bulb turnips, is that if you are a New Zealand Fonterra supplier and you are seeking to achieve the Teiputake component of the uh, Fonterra's cooperative difference, you'll be very aware that as part of that you, and the opportunities to track that premium milk price, one of the options is to potentially target no more than 20% of your herd's overall feed supply as imported feeds, with the balance, in other words, 80% of the herd's feed needing to be wholly, solely homegrown feeds, which includes pasture uh, and forage crops uh, and conserve silages. So summer bulb turnips do certainly fit the criteria to support additional feed as homegrown feed, reducing your reliance on um, just simply contracting more purchased and dry feeds such as PKE. We mentioned before many of you uh, will be strategically growing summer forage crops as a way to stockpile, if you'd like, a high-quality feed early in the new year when we hit those typical, not so much this year, drier, hot conditions that reduce both the growth rates and the feed quality of our summer pastures. Obviously, that depends on uh, growing conditions, and there's always that age-old expression that's been around for years from our grandparents that oh, probably one frustration of summer turnips is that they always yield the best in those wet years when we don't actually need them, and that's true enough. But certainly in drier years, having a decent stash of a forage crop ready to graze after Christmas when things have gone dry is definitely uh, food in the bank. Now, one comment, and we mentioned it before, about there's been a real trend back to an age-old thing that used to be done back in the old days, which was growing kale as a late summer, early autumn feed. Now, if you look at, and you you Google um, Owl Farm or St Peter's at Cambridge, for the last recent years, they've been successfully growing turnips but also kale, so that if you get a very wet year and you've got lots of grass around, you can eat your turnips, but your kale won't go off like turnips do when they hit maturity. Kale will keep growing. So growing kale for cows to shift from turnips to kale in uh, late summer, early autumn is definitely a bonus. So if you have a wet summer, not all of your turnips will go off if you can't get through them in a timely manner. So 
Do have a look at our farm, um, their website, St Peter's at Cambridge, about their journey around the use of turnips and kale. It's, it's well worth a read there. Now, another thing that turnips do before we move on to the specifics of nutrition of turnips uh, and the value to your cows is, of course, the role that turnips play in pasture renovation. And hey, look, this is an often overlooked benefit of turnips. By using a brassica crop such as summer bulb turnips, your agronomist and contractor will be much more likely to successfully take out hard-to-control weeds and grasses, so the grasses such as uh, twitch or cooch, whichever part of New Zealand you come from, uh, and or summer grasses, particularly in the northern regions of New Zealand, and it's much easier and more successful to establish a high-quality, robust, resilient perennial pasture following a brassica crop than just going grass to grass with a single or even double spray out with glyphosate. So using technology, particularly like clean crop, um, summer bulb turnips such as the Toto summer bulb turnip, that'll give you an even better chance um, than the traditional brassicas to clean out poor quality um, pastures and hard-to-kill weed species, increasing the likelihood of a clean, weed-free pasture established following those summer turnips. So don't underestimate the value of the feed quality of turnips, but also part of your regrassing strategy to get some better quality, high-performing, short-rotational perennial pastures behind your crops. Now, the last benefit that's not directly related to nutrition of summer bulb turnips for cows is some of the animal health benefits. And this is to do with if your lactating dairy cows are eating up to a third of their diet on a dry matter basis as turnips, this turnip um, part of the diet will dilute down the intake of pasture-associated anti-nutritional compounds or health challenges, uh, for example, such as uh, endophyte alkaloids that are associated with the old type, uh, wild type or standard endophyte ryegrasses that cause things like heat stress and ryegrass staggers. So that's a bonus. And as well, for those of you in facial eczema-prone areas, if a third of a diet is coming as summer bulb turnips, you'll potentially reduce the intake of facial eczema spores that otherwise will cause sporodesmin toxicity or, or facial eczema. Enough about that. That was just a bit of a scene set. Now we're moving on to the true part of um, this podcast, which is very much about the nutritional profile of summer uh, bulb turnips as a feed for your lactating cows. So when we say nutritional profile or whatever words you want to use, the nutritive or feed value of bulb turnips, what's the good stuff for your milking cows? Well, look, there's potentially lots of numbers involved when discussing the nutritive value of a feed for cows, and that's probably going to make me zone out and you zone out if you're driving um, in the tractor or whatever you're doing, hosing down the yard. So, look, to help out, what we've done is post some tables in the Facebook group, The Rumen Room, that outline expected feed quality values for summer bulb turnips. So if you like to look at numbers rather than me rambling on here and you'd like to access those tables, head on over to Facebook, join the Room and Room um, Facebook group if you haven't already done so, and then you'll be able to access the tables to look at that outline feed quality of turnips in conjunction to listening along with this podcast. So whether you like to listen or you like numbers in front of you, or maybe both, that'll hopefully help you get your head around some of the nutritive quality aspects of summer bulb turnips. So look, if you do go over to the Facebook group in the Room and Room, you're going to find four feed value tables that are attached um, as JPEG photos to the Room and Room bulb turnip post. 
And this information is actually part of a New Zealand study of brassica feed quality that was done uh, by myself, Charlotte Westwood, but also with ex-PGG Rights and Seeds colleague of mine, who unfortunately no longer works for us, but Hamish Molcock. And Hamish and his agronomy team did all of the sampling work for us way back in 2011, quite a long time now since we did that work. Now, in 2012, we published some of the summer bulb turnip quality data in a scientific paper titled The Nutritional Evaluation of Five Species of Forage Brassicas. In that paper, we were a little bit squeezed for space to put lots of tables and stuff in. So what we did include in that paper was just the whole turnip plant feed quality data. But what we've done with the information that we've posted in the Facebook group, the Rumen Room, includes a lot of unpublished data around uh, the quality of bulb turnips, specifically describing the feed quality of different cultivars of, of um, turnips based on just the leaf and just the turnip bulb separately. So by all means, have a skim through that 2012 New Zealand grasslands paper um, that's available online, but we'll get unpublished information posted in the room and room as well. So if you want to find that original paper, just Google some keywords, which would be Westwood, Brassica, Quality, New Zealand Grasslands, and that should find it in Google for you. Otherwise, you can access the full paper through a link to that paper that we'll put in the Facebook group, The Room and Room. So yeah, if you look through that Brassica paper and also the tables of information posted in The Room and Room, You'll see that because it's a 10-year-old paper now, we don't include all of the latest, greatest um, released cultivars of bulb turnip. But you'll find that on average, when you look at that information, that pretty well the quality of all of um, the summer bulb turnips are very, very similar in feed quality. So it's very likely that newer cultivars, the likes of Toto Clean Crop, bulb turnip that's uh, becoming very popular in the market now will be expected to be very similar to that of the cultivars included in the Westwood and Molcott paper, which includes um, the good old Barkant turnip, which is very well known to many of you. So expectations are that the feed quality of the tops and bulbs of the turnips will all be very, very similar. Not lot, a lot of difference um, in the marketplace between the cultivars. The difference uh, with the cultivars in the marketplace are more to do with agronomic performance, such as yield, and in the case of the clean crop one, tolerance to teller as a herbicide. Okay, well, look, let's run through, for those of you that aren't that much into numbers, just at a, at a higher level, I suppose, some of the take-homes from the summer bulb feed quality information that's shared both in the 2012 Grasslands paper, but also uh, in the Room and Room Facebook post. First point around the quality, feed quality of summer bulb turnips. Number one, even though we're providing all of this feed test information in terms of a generic sense of what to expect with your summer bulb turnips from a feed quality point of view, we'd strongly recommend that you always feed test your own summer bulb turnip crops. Whilst published information or what we term as book value is of use, sometimes if we apply book values, we can get some really wrong outcomes and can get us a bit waylaid. And we'll talk about it, some of the variation you might expect in your crop versus book values as we go through point by point around the quality of summer bulb turnips. 
with that in mind, let's do a bit of a high-level summary around overall trends and kind of expectations of what you might expect to see with your summer bulb turnips, um, both in terms of when you test them, but also some of the published information and unpublished information that we've found over the years of testing lots and lots of summer bulb turnips. Number one, the dry matter percentage in the bulb and the top or the leaf of the turnip. The key point around dry matter percentage here is that you can assume that your dry matter percent of your uh, summer bulb turnip crops are going to be all over the place. They are going to be extremely variable from season to season, even from paddock to paddock. So our number one issue around the feed quality to do with dry matter percentage is that we'd strongly recommend to never use a book value or in other words an estimate of the dry matter percent of your turnip crop. Many of you will apply a simple factor of perhaps 10% dry matter as a book value to to, um, convert the dry matter percent of your turnip crop times the wet weight if you are doing wet weight quadrant cuts to determine the the, um, yield of your turnip crop and 10%, some years it'll be lower, some years it'll be higher. So some of the reasons why we get a lot of variation in the dry matter percent of your crops, a lot of it will depend on the ratio of tops or leaf to bulb, because overall the bulbs of your turnip crop will contain less dry matter, so the dry matter percent will be lower, than the leaf or the tops of your crop. So if you have a very bulb dominant crop, you're going to have a wetter crop than if you have small bulbs and a lot of top. The bulb to leaf ratio is an important determinant of dry matter percent and therefore will really make a mess of your yield calculations if you just use, for example, 10%. Even within bulbs and the leaves, the dry matter percent of the leaf is all over the place and the dry matter percent of bulbs are also all over the place. For example, the dry matter percent of both the leaf and the bulbs of summer turnips will be much higher in drier summers than in wetter years. Or if you are irrigating your crop, for example, uh, truly irrigating, or you're putting effluent over it or whatever. So never use a book value. Otherwise, there's two risks that'll happen. If the dry matter percent is higher than a book value of 10%, there's a risk that you will over-allocate these drier crops to your cows because there's actually more feed there than what you thought. And that's fine because you'll figure this out over the next two or three or four days because there'll be a lot more crop left behind than what you thought. But given the cows are finding a lot more feed than what you expected them to, that increases risk of over-allocation of turnip crops to your cows and there's a greater risk of rumen dysfunction such as rumen acidosis during transitioning onto the crop and or if cows are scoffing a lot of feed because it's almost ad lib or just as much as they want because the dry matter percent is higher and you've inadvertently fed too much crop, you will also increase risk of um, milk taint uh, and also potentially some of the health reasons we need to be careful with turnips such as um, photosensitization that we'll cover in part two of this turnip podcast. As well, um, clearly if you inadvertently underfeed turnips because the crop ironically is wetter than what you thought, certainly again in a couple of three days you'll get a feel for it because the cows will be yelling at you and saying, hey, where are all the turnips? They've, they've all been gone. Um, then obviously you're inadvertently underfeeding and this may result in some inadvertent stripping of bit of body condition during the transition process. So 
the, the take home here is please don't just use 10% or your nominal value as the dry matter percent of your turnips when you're yielding turnip crops. Please do send those samples away, otherwise that, there's that risk of under and overfeeding your cows with your turnip crops. Moving on to the next aspect of true quality, given I suppose some might argue dry matter percent's not true quality, but anyway, uh, megajoules of metabolizable energy, uh, MJME, whatever you want to call it, metabolizable energy. Now, in terms of your summer bulb turnip crops expressed on a megajoules of ME per kilogram dry matter basis, your energy value, like dry matter percent, will be extremely variable. Now, a lot of the variability is actually to do with the, the energy calculation uh, in its own right, because ME is indeed just a calculated value, and different feed testing labs may use different formulae to calculate your energy values of your brassica crop. So yes, feed testing your crop is very important, but really if you're going to feed test every year, you probably want to send your uh, your tests away to the same feed test lab so you can compare between years, um, assuming they hold the same calculation formula that they use to calculate your energy value. As far as the components of turnips, well, the uh, energy content of turnip bulbs is on average higher than turnip leaf. And that's not unsurprising, really, given that the bulbs contain a lot of highly digestible water-soluble carbohydrates and relatively low levels of NDF and ADF compared to the leaf. That said, healthy turnip leaf will still be relatively high energy, but it won't be as high energy uh, as the bulbs. So the energy content of the crops is the number one value of summer bulb turnips to your business consistently high levels of energy and worst case if you suffer some loss of leaf from the crop that we're going to talk more about under the crude protein section next you will still have the bulbs that are still a a lovely tasty high energy feed source for your cows. Crude protein or CP now this is all over the place as far as a nutrient in bulb turnips and In general terms, when we look at the bulb and the leaf component of bulb turnips, the level of protein in the leaf of your turnips will almost always be higher than your turnip bulbs. That's kind of useful, but that said, on average, we might expect turnip bulbs still to contain 11 or 12% crude protein, and compared to, say, the bulbs of fodder beet, those turnip bulbs do contain more protein than, say, the bulbs of your fodder beet. So, yeah, brassica bulbs on average do contain a bit more protein than the bulbs of fodder beet. However, you don't know how much protein is in your bulbs unless you actually feed test that. So more about that shortly. Now, in terms of the whole plant, in terms of protein accumulation by both the tops and the bulbs, is driven very much agronomically by the amount of plant available nitrogen in the soil of your turnip paddock. In turn, of course, plant available nitrogen is influenced by the amount of nitrogen in the soil and whether that is available. So in other words, whether it's organic nitrogen that's not particularly available or you've had some mineralisation and release of organic nitrogen to become inorganic nitrogen that the plant can then grab that and take up into the plant to support greater accumulation of crude protein. 
and of course very much dependent on the rate of nitrogen-containing fertiliser that you apply as a starter fert when you establish your crop of summer turnips. So lots of variables there. If the plants are very hungry for nitrogen, you'll not only not get the dry matter yield that you might have otherwise have expected, but also there's a good chance that the crude protein level on a whole plant basis of your turnips will be lower than what we are after, given that many of you will be keen for turnips to supply good levels of protein to the herd when they graze the turnips after Christmas. Now, the other key driver of whole plant turnip nitrogen and crude protein content is the ratio of turnip leaf to turnip bulb. Now, as I've said, there's more crude protein, more nitrogen in other words, present in turnip leaf. So if we lose leaf off your bulb turnip crop for any reason, you'll not only sadly lose total dry matter kilograms of dry matter on often to your cows so the crop yield will drop because the leaf is frizzled up and fallen off but also on a whole crop content basis you will lose crude protein because remember most or a high proportion of the crude protein in the whole plant is available in the leaf the bulb will retain some if you've only got bulb left but not as good uh, as if you keep leaf on the crop Now, common reasons for turnip crops to dump their leaf or to lose their leaf through the summer months include a whole range of factors. First up, we can talk about uh, sowing rate, uh, the number of seeds per hectare, the kilograms of seed per hectare sowing rate that's been recommended for you because that recommendation will vary throughout New Zealand. As well as that, depending on plant pests or disease, the plant populations that you end up with. Now, the reason the sowing rate and plant populations influence whole plant crude protein levels is that if we have fewer turnips per square metre, either through a lower sowing rate or loss of plants as they're jumping out of the ground, say like Nisius or something's come along and munched and crunched and taking individual plants out, we end up with fewer plants per uh, metre squared, but those fewer plants bulb up with much bigger turnip bulbs. So therefore, if you have a low plant population, you have potentially relatively less leaf, but more bulb overall. And if you're chasing protein, then some of these lower plant population paddocks will deliver dry matter, deliver energy, but not necessarily the protein that you're looking for. So if protein is your thing, you can talk to your rural retailer, your agronomist, about ways to ensure through a combination of sowing rate but also monitoring your your paddock to make sure you don't lose too many plants to keep more plants per metre square that will favour smaller bulbs but more leaf and more leaf brings more protein so that's pretty cool. Now we've talked already about pests that knock crops around and once your crops are established and you have a good plant population other things can still cause problems that reduce overall plant protein levels by taking leaf out and that might include uh, for example little creepy crawly critters um, thinking leaf miner so turnips are susceptible to leaf miner that literally as the name suggests mine through the leaf and destroy the vasculature of a leaf and we lose that leaf there goes your protein and dry matter and energy but specifically protein In many parts uh, of New Zealand, we have issues with virus, and there's a range of viruses such as turnip mosaic virus, but others as well, that result in the yellowing 
very bright yellowing of a leaf and then ultimately leaf loss. Now, those viruses are carried by aphids, so all the more reason to talk to your raw retailer or agronomist about monitoring for aphids to keep leaf on your plants. That said, in some regions of New Zealand, the virus infestation risk is so high that turnips may not even work well for you. So again, talk to some locals about that. As well as that, in some years we get fungal uh, infections, including but not limited to downy mildew, that can take out leaf, which is just such a shame to lose yield, but also the crude protein from your crop. Or in many years, not this year, uh, the wet summer we're having in many parts of New Zealand and Australia at the moment, but quite often in simply a hot, really tough, dry summer with drought, the turnip plants will drop their leaf, resulting in loss of dry matter, but loss of protein. So... Long story short, if you want both energy and protein from your turnip crop, and specifically you want protein because parts of the diet is deficient in protein, for example, if you're feeding maize silage, maize grain, wheat grain, do please talk to your agronomist and or your rural retailer about making sure that you have everything at every stage of the crop to get ample crude protein in the whole plant. So that's everything from plant-available nitrogen in the soil, uh, nitrogen-containing starter fruit, appropriate sowing rates for your particular region, and that will vary um, from the top to the bottom in New Zealand, and as well as strategies to do your best to hold on to as much of the crop leaf as you can through whatever strategies in terms of control of pests and uh, disease or anything else. Now, the other thing that will influence the whole bulb uh, plant crude protein level is your timing of grazing after planting. For many of our tankard-type turnips, really they need to be grazed from, say, starting at day 55 through to day 70. Some of the globe types might be later than that, day 90. But do check the maturity of the type of turnip that you've got because on average, if you're grazing just as the plant's reaching maturity, say day 55, feel like so your bark ant and clean crop toto, uh, bulb turnip, the leaf on average will be more uh, healthy and more prolific in these younger crops and therefore the whole plant crude protein levels of your turnip plant will be higher earlier in the grazing process. Now as plants uh, or that your brassica crops, specifically turnips in this case, reach and pass maturity, both leaf but also bulb quality can go off. So your protein values may not be as good in the whole plant as they were when the plant was younger and still very leafy and healthy. As well as that, not related to crude protein, but potentially our tankard type bulb turnips that are well past maturity may change um, the quality of the bulb. So sometimes the bulb gets a bit chalky and not as soft and in other cases, if you've carried tankard-type turnips for too long, those bulbs um, will rot out. So if basically the cows are less likely to want to eat them because they take a bite and the scent is rotten and not very nice for them to eat. So do check the maturity of your, your tankard-type bulb turnips to make sure that the crop is being eaten in a timely manner. And if turnips are going off and well past maturity in hindsight next year, you probably want to plant a later maturing bulb turnip or something else like a forage rape or even a kale um, so that the quality of the crop remains high quality right the way through. What about fibre? So here, strictly speaking from your, your feed tests, we're talking about NDF and ADF and you'll find those results on your own feed tests or in the Facebook group, the Room and Room uploaded tables of the results from that Westwood and Mulcock 
turnip data that was uh, both published in 2012, but also the the newly released unpublished data on the basis of leaf and bulb alone. <laughs> the disclaimer again, um, that published data are not intended to replace your own feed tests, but let's talk about trends on average. Now, on average, the NDF levels in turnip leaves are higher than the relatively lower NDF content of turnip bulbs. As a guide, you can expect for leaf uh, on turnips to contain around 24 to 25% NDF. In comparison, the bulbs of summer turnips will typically contain around 20% NDF, but use your own values as a guide. The overall trend um, here, I guess, and the take-home around that is both turnip leaf and turnip bulbs will contain lower levels of NDF than what you'd expect to see in summer pasture. And if we were to feed higher rates of summer turnips, you may get to the point that your lactating dairy cows do not have enough NDF in the diet. And we'd be looking for an overall diet of at least 35% NDF to maintain good rumen function. We're not getting into the in this podcast around physically effective NDF, etc. But in a broad sense, 35%. These relatively low NDF values for summer bulb turnips highlight exactly why we need to be careful when we are starting to transition cows from a 100% summer pasture-based diet onto a diet that contains, once the cows are transitioned, perhaps up to 35% of the diet on a dry matter basis as summer turnips. If your summer pasture is unusually high quality, which is perhaps uh, the case in cooler and wetter summers, and certainly for regions further south in New Zealand, it may be that the cows will require, in addition to a summer high-quality summer pasture and turnip-based diet, some additional feed such as baleage to be offered to the cows, particularly while they are transitioning onto the turnip crop, where we have an expectation that that baleage will provide a supplementary source of NDF to help maintain a stable rumen function. Hold that thought for the next podcast that will be coming your way soon that specifically talks about the importance of getting the transitioning of dairy cows from pasture to summer turnips right so we avoid uh, inadvertent side effects of not getting the transition right such as risk of loss of conditions such as heightened risk of a condition called brassica associated um, liver disease, or in other words, liver damage that looks like facial eczema, um, and or in fact rumen acidosis that may increase risk, for example, of an increased spike in the fat evaluation index or FEI relevant to New Zealand Fonterra suppliers. Come back to uh, have a listen in when we post the next podcast that'll include discussions around that. Water-soluble carbohydrates, uh, many of you would rather probably call this sugars or WSC, whatever you want to call them, but essentially the WSC or water-soluble carbs of turnips are very much the engine room of turnips from a dairy nutrition point of view. Like other bulb forage crops, turnips prefer to store the energy that they gain from photosynthesis from the sunshine um, as water-soluble carbohydrates, predominantly in the bulb but also some in the leaves of the turnip plant. Now, summer turnip bulbs can be expected to contain probably around 45 to 50% water-soluble carbs on a dry matter basis. But again, test your own crop to prove that to yourself. 
In contrast, turnip leaves contain more like 10 to 12% water-soluble carbs, which is still a useful amount of good quality energy for the rumen to work with, uh, albeit not as much as what you get from the bulbs. Now, in terms of agronomic differences, I guess, um, that influence whole plant water-soluble carbohydrates, first is obviously the ratio of top to bulbs, as we talked about, and if you want more water-soluble carbs in the diet, you'd chase some agronomic ideas such as lower sowing rates to get bigger bulbs and less top, um, or vice versa, less um, water-soluble carbs and more protein, high sowing rate, and looking for ways to retain the leaf on the plant if you want less water-soluble carbs and more protein. So that leaf-to-bulb ratio seems to be the key factor if you want to play with, if you'd like, the overall whole plant nutritional makeup of your summer turnip crops. One other thing from an agronomic point of view, it does seem, based on research done over the years, that higher rates of nitrogen fertiliser will, just as they do with pastures, potentially push down the water-soluble carbohydrate content of turnip leaves, but conversely will increase crude protein. So that said, nitrogen fertiliser certainly does a great job, so long as you're using it within the constraints of environmental concerns, does a great job of promoting higher yields, uh, dry matter yields for turnip crops, and does favour the higher levels of crude protein uh, in both the leaf and the bulb of turnips. So it depends w- what your thing is, but I suspect most of you will be wanting better yield in crops and therefore nitrogen fertiliser is obviously going to promote that. Obviously the low NDF turnips and values of turnips that we discussed previously uh, does increase risk of ruminacidosis. Well, It's the low NDF, but combined with these higher levels of water-soluble carbohydrates, and particularly in the bulbs of turnip, that contribute to issues of rumen dysfunction, um, such as acidosis. So again, we're going to cover more about transitioning and being careful, because at the end of the day, when you think about bulbs containing 50% um, water-soluble carbs on a dry matter percentage, for example, and in contrast, uh, on a wet weight basis, Molasses contains 50% uh, water-soluble carbohydrates on a wet weight basis, or in other words, around about 66% on a dry matter basis. You're getting levels of water-soluble carbs in turnips that are not dissimilar to molasses. So we do need to be careful looking after the cows' rumens. Just one comment about water-soluble carbohydrates. Note that turnips um, contain majority of their storage carbohydrates as water-soluble carbs and contain only low levels of starch. Now, that's just to point that out because I think some people think that uh, the storage form of carbohydrates in turnips is actually starch, and that's not the case. So turnips are not like potatoes. Now, that is beneficial to us because if turnips were to contain starch in the same way as potatoes do, then goodness me, we'd see a lot more ruminacidosis than we do actually do on turnip crops. But yeah, nonetheless, if you do some feed testing, we can expect... Uh, most of the storage carbohydrates or non-fibre carbohydrates, NFCs, to be water-soluble carbs and not starch. Typical book values where researchers have been very careful to distinguish true starch from uh, higher molecular weight water-soluble carbohydrates, true starch is probably around 6 to 8% of dry matter water-soluble carbohydrates of 45 to 50. So there's a little bit of starch, but the majority is water-soluble carbohydrates. Okay, moving on to the macro-mineral content of your summer bulb turnips. Macro-minerals include the the big minerals, that's why macro-big, so phosphorus, potassium, sulphur, sodium. So we're going to cover this now. 
Again, disclaimer, please do your own feed testing on your own summer bulb turnips because the levels of macro minerals, particularly some of them, but also trace minerals can be very variable. So we don't like to rely on book values. Unfortunately, when we did the work back in 2011, Hamish and myself didn't analyse either macro or trace minerals for the bulb turnips that we reported in that paper. (laughs) The budget was a bit tight, so I'm sorry about that. And instead, we've had to go and um, dig around and find some other scientific papers where the researchers have kindly spent a lot of money and done a lot of testing to allow us to provide for you some typical or expected levels of macro minerals and turnips. But yeah, disclaimer, these are just book values, so please do your own testing. A lot of the variation versus book values are going to come through in nutrients, macro macro mineral nutrients, specifically potassium will be high, highly variable, uh, as will sulfur, but we'll talk a little bit more about this now. Now, in terms of phosphorus, now reference ranges suggest that you'd expect um, phosphorus levels to be similar for the leaf and the bulb. So if you get changes in leaf and bulb ratio, your phosphorus level of whole plants shouldn't change a whole lot. And typically we'd expect um, the p-values of your brassicas to sit somewhere between 0.2 and 0.3% of dry matter. Again, this will be um, determined by plant available phosphorus and just how much phosphorus is available, how much data fert you've used, phosphorus containing starter fert, specifically DAP-based fertilisers. Potassium. Now, this is one that's highly variable from you to your neighbours to even variation between your paddocks. And this is because summer brassicas love their potassium and they're very effective at picking up any plant available potassium in the soil or anything that's been applied as fert. And actually, there's actually some papers that have been published to look at summer turnips as a mechanism by which it's a way to clean up, if you'd like, excessive amounts of soil available potassium in a paddock in the same way that mazes used to do the same. So that's another story another day, well away from the Room and Room podcast. But Look, on that basis, you can expect that the K levels in your summer um, turnip crops are going to reflect very much the the plant available K to the plants. And on that basis, applying a book value is probably not appropriate um, for any feed balancing or designs that you're doing or where you're trying to get cows away from high levels of potassium uh, for whatever reasons. So as far as within the plant, on average, the levels of potassium are higher in the bulbs, which I don't know why I thought, but I thought the leaves would be higher. But no, it's actually potassium tends to accumulate in the bulbs and less so in the leaf or tops of turnips. Now, the potassium levels of turnip bulbs can reach very high levels, as high as perhaps 8% of dry matter or more when there's a lot of plant available K in the system. So essentially the, the relativity, I guess, for New Zealand farmers for autumn calving herds by all means do feed summer turnips uh, as a feed for your dry cows, but you might just want to be careful in terms of risk of metabolic disease if your autumn calving cows remain on turnips as they're getting close to springing. Now calcium, now this is another odd one for the nutritive value of summer bulb turnips. Because we find relatively high levels of calcium in the leaf of summer turnips, compared with the leaf, turnip bulbs on average contain relatively lower levels of calcium compared with the the tops or the leaf. Now, when we turn this calcium concentration in the leaf and express it as a ratio of calcium to phosphorus, 
this is where things can get a bit weird from a dairy nutrition point of view. Calcium to phosphorus ratios of turnip leaf might reach really crazy levels of perhaps 10 to 1 or even 12 to 1. Now, compared with those leaf values, turnip bulbs are characterised by somewhat less startling ratios of calcium to phosphorus with ratios of more like a 2 to 1 or perhaps as high as 3 to 1, depending on the actual feed test results for your own crops. So these potentially unusual calcium to phosphorus ratios of summer bulb turnips, particularly the leaf dominant crops, are definitely something to keep in mind if you are intending or actually feeding higher rates of summer bulb turnips to uh, a part of a higher input type of diet and specifically those autumn calving close to springing dry cows. So look, for most cases, let's say spring calving cows that are eating turnips at 35% of a diet, one third of a diet over the summer uh, into early autumn, wouldn't worry too much about it. But if you do have any concerns around this weird calcium to phosphorus ratio uh, in the turnip leaf particularly, it's probably, if in doubt, talk to your vet uh, and or to your qualified dairy nutritionist about these weird ratios and if there's anything you need to do differently. The magnesium aspects of summer bulb turnips. Well, uh, on average, your summer bulb turnip leaf will contain more magnesium than the bulb of your summer turnip crop. Like levels might sit around, let's say, oh, in the bulbs, um, 025 to 0.35% of dry matter. Whereas in leaves, um, unlike the bulbs, you're going to find more like uh, 0.4 to 0.8% magnesium. And that seems quite variable in different reports of levels expected to be found. Irrespective of the actual levels uh, of magnesium in both the leaf and the bulb of your summer bulb turnips, remember though that because you've got a lot of water-soluble carbohydrates that the cows are consuming at the same time as when they're eating the magnesium in the leaf, the rumen will be uh, very grateful for that additional water-soluble carbohydrate and may be more effective at taking up that magnesium in an active sense through the rumen wall, given the presence of all those sugars providing energy. So, yeah, in the presence of high WSCs, the magnesium bioavailability from those turnips may be enhanced, and that's all a good thing, hey? Moving on with these uh, macro minerals, sodium. Now, levels of sodium can be expected to be extremely variable in your summer turnip crops, so it's really hard to offer an expected range, if you'd like, what you might expect to find with your summer turnip crops. And this is particularly true here in New Zealand, where those of you based here in New Zealand, you'll be aware that sodium nutrition is tricky at the best of times um, in New Zealand, because across New Zealand, um, being a, a very maritime climate here, Inland areas, for example, of the central plateau of New Zealand, sodium deficiency is really common because the soils are very low in sodium and it's too far inland to pick up any salt spray from the ocean. In contrast, uh, for people farming on coastal regions where prevailing winds are dragging in a lot of salt spray, we can get very high levels of sodium. And that's true for all forage types, uh, not limited to your summer turnips. So if in doubt, feed test please on the sodium. We're not going to give you any book values for that. Finishing up on the macro minerals, sulfur. Now as for sodium, sulfur levels expressed in summer bulb turnips are extremely variable. It's a little bit like potassium really. If a turnip uh, plant finds plenty of plant available sulfur, even in the soil and or after the application of sulfur containing ferts, the brassica plant will, in a very luxuriant manner, slurp up 
all of that sulfur and the termites will actively end up storing that sulfur in both leaf and bulb and it seems based on lots of feed testing that the bulbs and leaves are equally capable of storing sulfur in very similar amounts in both the leaf and the bulb ones not more than the other. Now as far as concerns around feeding summer bulb turnips that contain high levels of dietary S well look to be honest it's not really ideal for your lactating dairy cows primarily because in the presence of high levels of sulfur copper bioavailability is greatly reduced um, particularly if you have for example concurrent high levels of molybdenum present and the sulfur combines with molybdenum to call and, and copper to um, form thiamolybdates that then hold hands if you like with copper and the bioavailability of copper is compromised particularly if you're eating dirt with the summer crop and or in northern areas where you're also feeding zinc as a prophylactic or preventative for facial eczema. You know, the copper's really getting a hard time. So we don't like giving, we don't like planting um, summer bulb turnips into high sulfur, soil sulfate containing paddocks. And we don't like applying sulfur in the starter fertilizer for summer bulb turnips either, not only from the plants accumulating too much sulfur, but also if there's too much sulfur, we can get those turnip crops accumulating what we call anti-nutritional compounds, such as but not limited to a compound called SMCO toxicity. And we've done a podcast already about SMCO toxicity that you can go back to and, and listen to, but essentially it causes hemolytic anemia in cattle, albeit that SMCO accumulation by turnip plants is not as great as it is for kale plants. This is exactly why we recommend please don't apply any sulfur-containing fertiliser to your summer bulb turnip crops or in fact to any forage brassica crops. Please just rely on a DAP-based fertiliser that contains no sulphur. So look, as far as expected levels of sulphur in your summer turnip crops, it's like the term in quotation marks, it depends and levels could range from perhaps 0.4% of dry matter uh, as sulphur through to as high as crazy levels of higher than 1.2% sulphur um, on a dry matter basis. So feed testing remains very much your best approach to defining the uh, sulphur content of your summer turnip crops. Right, just to wrap up this podcast, a really brief mention of the trace mineral, trace element, micro mineral uh, content of summer bulb turnips, so whatever you like to call it, trace minerals, whatever, you name it, what you like. As for the macro minerals and summer bulb turnips that we've just explained, feed testing yet again remains very much the key and most important step to go to when you are looking to balance the diet of your cows uh, for dietary trace minerals while they're grazing turnips and or at the end of the turnip grazing period heading into the autumn to get your vet to take blood tests and or liver samples. Now there aren't too many published data sets that describe levels of trace minerals in summer bulb turnips. In a general sense, we'd usually expect summer bulb turnips to contain on average compared to say ryegrass white clover pastures grown in the same paddock, relatively lower levels of copper, which is true for all of our brassicas. As far as zinc goes, we'd expect to see probably similar or possibly slightly higher levels of zinc compared to a ryegrass white clover paddock in the same area. Cobalt, interestingly, we might expect to see relatively higher levels of cobalt than in our pastures. That said, big 
tracts of land in New Zealand are very deficient in cobalt, so it depends where you are in New Zealand, and or the history of cobalt application as um, cobalt sulfate in the FERC kind of over the years. So cobalt might be zero, and again, this is the benefits of doing your own feed testing to define cobalt levels or to track vitamin B12 levels uh, directly in the cows. And as far as molybdenum goes, we'd probably expect to see similar levels of molybdenum in your summer turnips than if a, a ryegrass white clover pasture was growing in the same paddock. But a little bit like cobalt, the molybdenum status would depend very much on the history of molybdenum application as fert, where agronomists might have promoted that to enhance the health and well-being of clovers, for example. So molybdenum, bit of a wild card. And again, the only way we can check for levels of molybdenum and define that is to, of course, do your own feed testing. Now, as far as selenium levels go, um, I've been unable to find any replicated published information that reports on selenium levels in bulb turnips. However, where we have high levels of sulphur availability, we do know that all brassica species as plants, where there's high sulphur, that will be taken up in preference to selenium um, by the plants. So, Again, it's this avoiding inappropriately high levels of sulphur in the plant. And we have an assumption that where that a lot of uh, sulphur is available, your plant won't pull up a lot of selenium out of the soil if indeed there's any selenium there to be had under New Zealand conditions. Now, the only thing here, uh, it's a shame that Hamish and I didn't do uh, trace mineral testing on the summer bulb turnips with that work we did back in 2011. But what we did do until the... <laughs> the first account came in from Hills and we stopped because it was so expensive, was we did do some extensive feed testing uh, of trace mineral levels in leafy turnips. Now leafy turnips are not the same as bulb turnips, but nonetheless genetically they are quite similar to bulb turnips. So we do have that really nice data set for leafy turnips and with this unpublished data we found that on average for the leaf part of leafy turnips, because we dissected the leaf out from a petiole part of leafy turnips, we found that on average the leaf of all of the cultivars of leafy turnip, and that included clinkrop leafy turnip, um, hunter and uh, pasture too, on average the levels of copper were somewhere between 3.5 to 4 milligrams per kilogram dry matter of copper. So as you said before, where work has been done with summer bulb turnips, we've got quite low levels of copper. Zinc uh, on the leaf of our leafy turnips was somewhere around 25 to 30 milligrams, which again sits nicely with work that has been published on summer bulb turnips. Molybdenum was uh, quite a tight range between 0.41 to 0.48, but that's probably more reflecting the soil content of molybdenum of where that trial, even though it's fully replicated where that trial was done uh, at Kimahir Research Centre in Canterbury. And iodine, and this is the only published data I've seen on iodine and brassicas, was somewhere around 0.13 to 0.15 milligrams per kilogram of dry matter, which is quite low. Again, iodine is highly variable on all forages throughout New Zealand, but typically brassicas, we do assume there's a risk of primary iodine deficiency, uh, and this may be accentuated by the presence of some of the glucosinolates that can reduce the bioavailability and conversion of iodine um, through to the metabolically active T3 and T4 hormones. Another story about that another day. Okay, 
We're going to sum up this feed quality conversation around bulb turnips now. I guess the number one take-home above everything else about summer bulb turnips and the feed quality is, for probably about the fifth time I've said this now, there's no replacement for sending your very own samples of summer bulb turnips away to a feed-testing laboratory. You've probably picked up the thread through this podcast that often the feed quality of the bulb of summer turnips is very, very different to the feed quality of the leafy parts of your bulb turnips. Because of that, what we do recommend that if you choose to feed test, hope that you do by the way, um, what we'd recommend is that you don't send whole plants away. What we'd suggest is that you dissect the leaf from the bulb and send them away for feed quality testing separately, including dry matter percent, but all the feed quality parameters, including if you choose macro and trace minerals. Now, when those results come back, what you'll need to be able to interpret those results and convert everything back into a whole plant basis is, of course, to calculate your leaf to bulb ratio. Now, to do that, that's an easy part of simply dry matter yielding your summer crop. So, as we've already mentioned, dry matter yielding your summer bulb turnip crops will not only improve the accuracy of allocation of summer turnips for your cows, particularly during the critical transition period, but once you know the ratios, you can then take your feed test results that have come back separately for bulb and leaf and combine, just calculate back using your leaf to bulb ratio what your whole crop nutrient supply is looking like. If we just test the whole crop, we have no clue um, about how to interpret implications of less leaf or, um, as the grazing period continues or other changes in the diet including if part of your transition process is simply to allow cows uh, on a time-based basis to strip only leaf. We'll talk more about that in the transition discussion. So that's us. That's the feed quality of summer bulb turnips. As we've mentioned, please do keep an eye out for the second part of this two-part series about the nutrition of lactating dairy cows and summer bulb turnips. In part two, we're planning to cover the following topics. Number one, We'll be talking about transitioning of cows from pasture-based diets to one that contains summer bulb turnips. We'll include as many tips and tricks that we can, um, that we can think of, to keep our cows healthy and well while transitioning onto summer bulb turnips because there are some things that can potentially go a little bit wrong um, if we don't get that just right. As well, we'll be talking about expected production responses uh, in terms of milk but also body condition when cows graze summer bulk turnips and, and like why sometimes you might not get the milk or the body condition responses when you graze summer bulk turnips. And then finally, we'll talk briefly about milk composition when cows graze summer bulk turnips and we'll reference part of a, a dairy grazing trial that has been run on a Huntley dairy farm uh, in the northern Waikato region of New Zealand, kindly run for us by Mark and Courtney Harris. We'll talk about that trial just in part as far as some of the milk composition comparing cows grazing summer bulk turnips compared with cows that graze chicory. So hold, hold that thought as well. But in the meantime, I guess we'll wrap up. That's a, another Room and Room podcast done and dusted. I hope that amongst all the different bits and pieces of this particular topic that you might be able to pick out some bits and pieces that you can apply uh, at home for your cows, particularly if you really are interested in the, in the nutrition of your cows. 
So in the meantime, look, we'd love to hear feedback from you about your own experiences around balancing diets for cows um, that are consuming turnips as part of their diet. Also, in the next couple of weeks, if you've liked this podcast, do please let us know if there's anything else you'd like us to include in part two of this summer turnip series so that we can cover stuff that's of particular interest to you. As we've mentioned, uh, if you want more information about summer bog turnips, including those tables that detail the feed quality of summer turnips, or indeed to ask any questions, as I say, to post any of your own experiences about summer bog turnip feeding, what's gone well, what hasn't gone well, head over to Facebook, search up the Room and Room uh, Facebook group, join into our Ruminant Nutrition community there if you haven't already done so, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. But look, in the meantime... Thanks so much again for joining us for this latest podcast. My name's Charlotte Westwood. I've I've been uh, hosting you today. And on behalf of both myself and our sponsors, Pleasure Do Rights and Seeds, we really hope you have an awesome day out and about, whatever you're up to. And we look very much forward to you joining us again very soon. Have an awesome day. Cheers. Cheers.